effing gay. The president of Harvard University ain't going nowhere because the highest governing body at Harvard has ruled unanimously in support of President Claudine Gay. That's according to the Harvard Corporation in a statement. Now, if you remember, look, I've been talking about this for days. Uh, Claudine Gay at Harvard, the presidents of both MIT and Penn testified to a House committee last week where Congresswoman Elise Stefanik in New York asked, does at any point calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's or MIT's or Penn's harassment and bullying guidelines? It was a yes or no question. And. Claudine Gay had said that it was context dependent, dependent on the context. And that obviously angered Elise Stefanik. And it sent, I think, people from all walks of life around this country in a bit of a spiral wondering why that was such a difficult question to answer. But in the aftermath of that, hundreds of faculty members at Harvard signed a lender calling for two governing bodies at Harvard to resist pressure, outside pressure, political pressure, and from donors specifically to force President Claudine Gay to resign. And they said today in a statement, we today reaffirm our support for President Gay's continued leadership of Harvard University. Our extensive deliberations affirm our confidence that President Gay is the right leader to help our community heal and to address the very serious societal issues we are facing. Now, I would ask if you think that, if you think that, that this would maybe cut down on Harvard's uh, application process or admittance, and I just don't think it will. I don't think it will. I think there will be plenty of people out there that will want to continue to attend Harvard University, prestigious school. But uh, I believe it's taken a bit of a PR hit. I'm not sure that it will impact their admissions, but I do believe it. Harvard has taken a hit, along with MIT and Penn. Meanwhile, Justice Department Special Counsel Jack Smith took the heart of his 2020 theft case against Donald Trump now to the Supreme Court skipping over the appellate court, the mid-level appellate court in the process. And hours later, the Supreme Court said that they would take on the case. Now, since the Supreme Court gained the authority to review pivotal and time-sensitive legal matters like this one before a lower appellate court weighs in, it happened nearly a century ago. And SCOTUS has only done it 50 times according to records tracked down by law professors at the University of Texas, Austin. Now, recent examples show that this court usually takes longer than about six months to move at its breakneck speed. It's an interesting way to look at this. And I think that when you consider what they're going to do and what they've decided to do, it makes a lot of sense from Jack Smith's perspective probably makes some sense for him to do this if he wants the trial to happen when it's supposed to, which is March 4th. That's the trial date. And what has happened is, is this argument is going on about whether or not President Trump can actually be prosecuted under the law. 
And the Trump team has decided to argue that out in the court, in the lower courts. Now, that causes a delay. So if, if Special Counsel Jack Smith doesn't skip the Court of Appeals, doesn't go right to the Supreme Court, there is just no way that this trial can happen on March 4th. It's impossible because there'll be so many arguments before that. So for him procedurally to try to move it along, that's what he wants to do. This is what he had to do to bring it to the Supreme Court now. That is Matthew Schneider the former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, now a, 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 a lawyer at Hahnemann. He was talking to All Talk and, and Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz. But there's another side to this, and this is the Trump side, the legal uh, team that, that Donald Trump has appointed to this case. And it it centers on the fact that they are they have a case to make before the lower court. And while Jack Smith is trying to streamline this process, Donald Trump, to a certain extent, is trying to slow roll it. So even if so the Supreme Court takes this up in a in a in a in a quicker manner than maybe they would it is still interesting to see if they will make that March 4th deadline because if they if their breakneck speed if their warp speed is 6 months well that puts March 4th uh out of question uh in the meantime uh, an incredible story in the New York Times the lowly goldfish is becoming an absolute menace in the Great Lakes. The fish, can, the fish can grow more than a foot long and weigh several pounds and destroy habitats of native species. WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne swims in with that true fish tale. Hi, Marie. Yeah, it's hard to believe, Chris, that this tiny, harmless goldfish you buy for your child's first pet is now the subject of an environmental threat. The goldfish is native to East Asia, and it's usually just about an inch or two long. But a new study in the Journal of Great Lakes Research released into uh, says that released into the wild, these goldfish can grow to monstrous proportions. They kill off native marine wildlife they destroy valuable ecosystems. One scientist said they'll eat anything and everything. Scientists have been tracking these goldfish in Hamilton Harbor. That's near Toronto. It's at the western tip of Lake Ontario. How did they get into the waterways? Well, people not really realizing how harmful they can be, release them into ponds or maybe they even flush them down the toilet and they get into the waterways. And they are hardy. Goldfish can tolerate a wide range of water temperatures. They reach sexual uh, maturation quickly. They can uh, eat anything, including algae and aquatic plants, eggs and invertebrates. So it is they'll just do anything in terms of getting food. They help spawn harmful algae blooms by consuming the algae and then expelling the nutrients. And that promotes uh, the growth, really, and kills the native fish. Females, they're fast growing and they can reproduce several times in the season. Chris, scientists say culling has to start with pinpointing the populations where they are, like at this Hamilton uh, Harbor, and then they uh, need to get to them before they start spawning. So they're garbage disposals is what you're telling me. Yeah, but they just take anything. This is true. But instead of like being a good garbage disposal, they're being a bad one because they're eating a lot of the good stuff that we need to have in our lakes. So how are they ending up in the Great Lakes? So they it, people just like throw them in a pond. You know, they don't want them anymore. They get rid of them by throwing them in a pond. Uh, they flush them down a toilet. Sometimes people think they're actually dead and maybe they're not. 
and they get into the mm. in, into the water systems. And they're telling fishermen who happen to catch these fish, uh, don't throw it back in the lake. No. Just get, get, you know, dispose of it, get rid of it, but not by putting it back in the lake. Kill it. It, it is unbelievable because you would not think of a goldfish being some invasive species no. or, or being something that would be able to cause, you know, havoc in the Great Lakes. It, it is a problem, though. Yeah, and we were looking at pictures of it they're earlier, and, and it's it's eye-popping, right? It's like a size of a football. Yeah, they're huge. They're absolutely huge. And uh, one scientist said because their stomachs, you know, that underbelly mm-hmm. gets so big, there, there aren't any other fish that can just eat with a mouth big enough to eat them. So, you know, <laughs> it's, you know the, the circle of life it has been interrupted. <laughs> Thanks for the goldfish. The the lowly goldfish. Unbelievable. Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. The UAW is trying to reach into markets where they are not organized. How are they doing it? We'll take a look coming up next here on JR Afternoon. So the UAW is riding a wave. They are riding high after record deals struck between the UAW and the big three. And Sean Fain had didn't mince any words and he said we're going after these other automakers next because we saw the toyotas of the world the hondas of the world raise pay after those agreements were were struck because they don't want that union coming into their plants and infiltrating their systems i don't know that any of these automakers want the union but the unions the the, the uaw and the big three are synonymous But when you start looking at some of these foreign automakers or automakers that have plants in the South, it's a little different. (laughs) Unions are a little different down South, or or at least the the optics on unions are a little different down South. But it's hard to argue with the type of results that Sean Fain and other negotiators got inside the UAW with the big three. It's hard to argue in a time when things are more expensive. They got a lot of really big line items back. And that's not even talking about the wage increases. And so that's why the Toyotas of the world had to raise their pay for workers. Something at least similar to what UAW workers got in the big three. And so now the UAW is trying to ride that wave in in that momentum down south into some of these other states, some of them right to work states trying to unionize these workers. And there at least seems to be a temperature being taken that some of these workers might be interested in. Merrick Masters is the professor of business in the Mike Illich School of Business at Wayne State University, also a labor expert, and he joins us. Merrick, good to have you back. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So talk to me about what the UAW is looking to do now, in the immediate aftermath of these deals with the big three being struck? Well, its ultimate goal is to organize the non-union companies that it's identified. 13 are on its list. I estimate they employ about 170,000 people in the United States now. That may be a couple of years dated, but um, it's a larger segment than the current level of membership they have in the big three. So it's very important, not only in terms of growing their membership, but also in increasing their bargaining power in the industry, because increasingly these non-union facilities are going to be the benchmark that the big three look at to determine what kind of wages and labor costs they want. 
Meanwhile, uh, Honda workers in Ohio, the UAW saying and telling the Detroit News that 30 percent of workers at a Volkswagen assembly plant in Chattanooga, Tennessee, had signed cards expressing support for for organizing. Is that number, do you think, right? Do you think that's too high or too low uh, for some of these plants? They've got a 30-50 system that Sean Fain talked about yesterday. And it's basically 30% is what the National Labor Relations Board requires for a sufficient showing of interest for them to hold an election. That's the minimum sort of requirement that the union will look at before it proceeds on a full-fledged organizing campaign. Typically, before it asks for recognition on a voluntary basis, perhaps from an employer, it will want to have well over 50%, 70% is what Sean Fain identified. So it's the first step. There's a long history of trying to organize in Chattanooga, so this doesn't surprise me at all. What will be interesting to see is when they're able to reach that threshold at some of the other companies that have maintained more resistance to union organizing efforts than Volkswagen. You talked about the the, the 13 targets uh, that that the UAW has set. It's almost like, to me, it's like fishing. You throw that that lure into the water and you're hoping one fish is going to bite. Do you feel like they're going to get a bite? Well, I think they'll get a bite. The question is whether it's a big enough bite to justify such a campaign. And I think Sean Fain hit the nail on the head last night when he said, look, what makes the difference between an organizing campaign that wins and one that loses is what people at the work sites feel. They've got to have a groundswell of support at these work sites, people that are willing to overcome resistance and take the risks that are necessary and inevitably encountered in trying to organize. What is, what is the, the view of the union from these automakers' perspective, the Toyotas, the Hondas, the Hondas, the, 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 the Teslas of the world? What, what is the, the business view of, of unions and unionizing their labor? I think Elon Musk said it out loud what many others probably believe but won't say out loud in that he views unions as adversaries and they come in and try and stir up trouble and that they're not good for the business. I think that he thinks that workers are better off without a union and particularly one like the UAW, which has been tainted recently with corruption, has a reputation for being rather top down. And it also can be accused of being complicit in the downfall of the big three companies in terms of their market share in the industry. What are the odds that you think that is there a type of resurgence here that the UAW could be experiencing? I I talked about the wave that they're riding uh, after these these contracts that they got done with the big three. Is, Is there a possibility that we could see a resurgence of the UAW across the country? Well, it would require organizing success on orders of magnitude far greater than it has achieved. It has been involved in only a handful of certification elections in the past several years. Last year, they were involved in about 15 certification elections that um, resulted in the certification of 1,000 members. Look at facts. Look at the record. Since 2001, the UAW has lost over 45% of its membership. Since 1979, it's lost over 75% of its membership. It's become increasingly non-auto in terms of the composition of its membership. It hasn't had success. It hasn't demonstrated success. And it may be taking advantage of some record contracts, but there is a big leap between taking advantage of that from a public relations standpoint and actually translating that into recognition 
at the bargaining table. Is this the time you think they can take advantage of that? Have they had this type of momentum? You mentioned since 2000. Let's take it from there. Have they had this type of momentum since 2000? their best time but as i think i also might have said on your show or one of some other show i was on i said it's not a good chance mm-hmm. uh they face great odds they will have to overcome a lot of difficulties and once you put yourself out later like this you become a bullseye and people will start looking for ammunition to use against you and i think they have plenty of it is the uaw going to tap their membership for for a, a, another avenue for potential union workers at some of these other facilities to to talk with and you almost use them as a resource or a rallying cry to try to get them on their side well yes i think they have they have workers organizations they have tesla's worker united for example that's formed they've made prior efforts there they have people that are at these sites that are dissatisfied disgruntled and may try and form a union there was recently a charge filed against tesla for uh, firing a group of employees that they were considered fired for union organizing activities, but that has is still in the courts pending. You have to really look at the situation on a case by case basis, but uh, they will reach out. They've got to really have a groundswell of support, not only within the work sites, but among the families of those involved. And remember, a lot of these work sites are located in facilities where there aren't a whole lot of the in, in employment options. And people, you know, even though you may be a site in Indiana or Ohio, there are places in Indiana, Ohio that resemble Alabama and Mississippi. Uh, And so I think that in terms of um, the difficulty, just because it's in a northern state doesn't mean that the UAW necessarily has an easy ride to recognition. And how much does the geography play into this, some of these states being right to work states? Well, I think that plays a significant role. I look at right to work as, as a symptom of a anti-union attitude uh, and the conditions on the ground and the climate, the political climate, the economic climate doesn't favor unions. And I think, you know, the, the UAW is a poster child for some extent. What's wrong with unions? And it has to overcome that. It's got to go in there facing reality that it is going to be guilty by association with a lot of the problems, um, not only with its own scandal, but with the uh, situation in the domestic industry. Mm. Merrick Masters, always appreciate letting you uh, uh, pick your, your brain on this issue. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it very much. Have a good day. Yep, you do the same. That's Merrick Masters uh, at Wayne State University. You think UAW is going to be successful in trying to, to rally some of these troops, circle the wagon, and get some of these the these workers on the union side in some of these other states, particularly southern states. We'll hear from you coming up next right here on JR Afternoon. Don't go anywhere. All right, you want to weigh in on the, the union issue, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Because I, I do believe that this is, you know, it's it's kind of the quintessential strike while the iron's hot. The UAW is hot right now. They they did a nice job in in these talks with the big three from from a union perspective. They got a lot done and they got a lot back for their workers. So I would imagine that there is at least there. I think there are workers around the country at some of these other automakers that are at least willing to listen, that are at least willing to sit down and say, all right, well, what can you do for me? Yeah, it's tough for me to pay my bills right now. It's tough for me to to keep the lights on and, and the gas flowing. But 
I don't I don't know that they're going to be able to flip as many of these facilities as they think they are. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to try. And I think that's exactly where the UAW is right now, is they are going to try. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJ. I do want to bring this up. This is a, I, I've been getting absolutely roasted here. Roasted. Because Jake, my oldest, five and a half, lost his first tooth. Now, for Thanksgiving, I was in Florida visiting some with some family for the holidays. And Jake was really sick to start the week. I mean, really sick. He had a double ear infection, just running a fever for, for three days. It was, he was not himself. And so just as he was starting to on the upswing, just, he was just starting to kind of feel better. He kept putting his finger in his mouth and picking around. And, and I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, uh, I don't know. Something's in my mouth. So I look in his mouth and uh, I see a tooth coming in. So I feel the tooth that that is above that one. And it sure, it was loose, pretty loose. He calls it tooth on the loose, by the way, which is the freaking cutest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. So we hadn't talked about this with him yet, right? He hadn't never lost a tooth, didn't have any loose te- teeth or anything like that. But I was like, oh, dude, we got to have a talk. I'm like, I know you're not feeling well, but um, you have a loose tooth and you're going to lose it. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's it's going to come out. The thing is, all the teeth that you have right now are baby teeth and they're all going to come out and then you'll grow new teeth. And if I swear to God, if Jake smoked, he would have taken a drag of the cigarette. Oh, that's heavy. Like it was it was too it was, I'm going to need a drink, it was, too, it was too much. It's like, oh, all right. Are you I'm all of them? Like, I'm going to lose all of them? And I'm like, yeah, you're not all at once, but you're going to lose them one at a time, and then they're going to be new teeth growing in. So he finally got it, and I said, here's the good news. I said, the good news is the tooth fairy is going to come. We're going to put the tooth under your pillow. The tooth fairy will come, and we'll take the tooth and leave you money. And he's like, the tooth fairy? And I said, yeah. He's like, the tooth fairy comes to my house? I said, yeah. He's like, she comes into my room? And I said, yep, she comes into your room. He's like, okay. Like, it was like it was all very crazy to, to grasp. So finally, we get back from Florida. A couple days passes, and he loses the tooth. And we put it under his pillow. Next morning, wakes up. I said, uh, did you check under your pillow? And he said, uh, no. I said, all right, let's go. So he went under. And he lifted up his pillow to find a $20 bill. Whoa. Now, as I understand it, the Tooth Fairy only had 20s <laughs> uh, that particular day. And so that's what the Tooth Fairy left. And the, the, the Tooth Fairy in my house left, left Jake a $20 bill. Now, I come in here and I tell my coworkers, what, what had happened. And they were aghast. They could not believe that the tooth fairy left Jake a $20 bill. It's a lot of money. I do want to just point out, um, Axios did a story. Uh, this was back in, I believe 
I can't find when this story was published. It, earlier this year. Um, it said every tooth fairy isn't immune to inflation. The value of a single lost tooth is at a record high with the average gift up from 536 in 2022 in 2022 to $6.23 today. <laughs> I knew this is where this was going. So, so inflation in my house is something else. You got it hit hard. You hard. Got hit hard, yeah. Hard. We're on tough times. Wow. Um, Not for Jake. No, no. Good times for Jake. And it was great because he's like, 20 bucks. I, it could have been 100. I don't think he would have known the yeah, difference. Yeah. But um, I've been getting roasted. And my question is, was that too much? Should should the tooth fairy maybe have ran to the gas station and uh, bought a pack of gum to break the 20? Why did she run? Why didn't she just fly? Okay, fly. Whatever. Semantics. <laughs> was that too much? Because I got to tell you, I've been getting absolutely roasted. Everybody I talk to says the tooth fairy's out of their minds. Out of their minds. And now the the other question is, is is that the going right now yeah. for teeth in my household? Absolutely. Is it really? If I got if I got a twenty for one tooth, and then my next tooth I get a five, I might be a little offended. Yeah. I wonder why the tooth fairy's cheaping out on me. Now Jake might not have that. That might be my my adult brain working in a different way. No, no, no. Jake might just be happy with any amount of money, which is you know some money's better than none. But yeah. if I get a twenty the first time and. That that rate drops, I might be looking at my brother's teeth and you know maybe put two under there next time. <laughs> right? I don't know. You, I, be- you better not put a, a dollar under there. I don't know that I could do that. I don't know that I could do that. Well, that's I don't where, know that that the tooth fairy could do that. That's where you should have started, to be honest. A dollar? You couldn't find a single dollar. I mean, the tooth fairy couldn't find a single dollar. Tooth fairy could not. There was no single dollars in the house. I have single dollars lying around everywhere. Oh well, that must be nice to be Living you. The high life of Danielle's yeah. house. I'm just saying, I found a single dollar in my cup holder, so I'm sure oh. you could have found a single I dollar. I didn't. I didn't have single dollars. I had twenties. That's what I had. Mm. So I, I, I've been getting roasted. So I thought I'd bring it up if you want to weigh in on that as well. Eight hundred eight five nine zero nine five seven. Let's go to William in Toledo. What's up, William? Hi. Uh, I- I used to belong to UEW here down in Toledo for 18 years, and I don't think they did much of anything for workers at all. I I know I wasn't uh, treated well by the UAW when I paid union dues and stuff. I was I actually got paid a, a, a lot less than my uh, other workers that I did the same job. So. Mm. And the only reason I stayed at where I was at that the insurance was good. So I, I think the unions are uh, out of date in a waste of uh, money and time. Well, and William, I think there's I think that is a is a good reason why. Um, I think that's a good reason why the UAW has lost membership over the years. Right. I mean, going over the yeah. last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, I think that there's a that's a that's a big reason why. But I do and, believe and I now that... Me- Go ahead, William. Members, uh, uh, I don't see why union members went up with UAW ever. Their union leaders were ripping them off for years. Uh, the guy, sure. the president with Billy, uh, 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 a summer home up in UP mm-hmm. or up in Michigan with, with union dues and stuff. Uh, the, the corruption, 
who needs the mob when you have the UAW? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, and I think those that are opposed to unionization in some of these states, and William, I appreciate the call. I, I think those that are opposed to unionizing in these states, that's going to be one of the, the, the talking points that they throw out there, the counterpunch, if you will. Because the UAW can come in and talk about the wages, COLA, tears being eliminated, all as a reason to unionize. But if they if they go out and say, look, the, the UAW has a history of corruption, the UAW has a history of not being able to year over year or deal over deal get what their workers are demanding, well, then maybe they try to sway the decisions that way. But it's hard right now when the UAW has done a really – I mean, look, from a union perspective, they did a really nice job in negotiating these deals. And so – it's going to be pretty difficult, I think, for a lot of these workers to to turn a blind eye to that. But at the same time, I think getting the necessary votes in these facilities, in these factories, I think that's going to be a difficult, a difficult sell as a whole, not just targeting specific workers. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Got to take a break. We'll get to your calls, your text next here on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. We'll get to your calls coming up. Brian, you got some texts? We do. We've got a few texts here. One, uh, Laura in Brighton said that in her house, for the first tooth, the tooth fairy brought a prize. Oh. Then the second tooth, you got $2.00. Third tooth, you got $3 and so on. Okay. So, okay, that makes sense. Uh, you have somebody who, who says when Jake starts pulling his teeth out to get more money, you're going to regret this. Yeah. And then you have someone who says, uh, "It's don't be surprised when Jake starts getting emails from Trump asking for donations. <laughs> uh, speaking of Donald Trump, though, actually, he just... Uh, sent out a truth social post. It said, due to the great excitement and success of my previous Trump digital trading cards, we're doing it again. The mugshot edition available right now. And if you buy 47 cards, you get a piece of the suit that he wore for his mugshot photo and an invite to a gala at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, what are they, Brian? Did you say 99 bucks a digital trading card? Each. So that's five teeth that Jake has to lose. In order to get a, a, a Trump he's got to buy forty-seven of them to yeah, get the Yeah, if he piece wants the, the dinner, yeah, or the soup, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if he just wants, for example, the one where he is walking away from the Capitol building with fighter jets overhead holding bolts of lightning, uh, he would just need a hundred dollars. I kind of like the one better where he's sitting on the uh, the Lincoln Memorial. He's Lincoln in the yeah. Lincoln Memorial. That's cool. I mean, look, uh, I. I <laughs> That's not for me. <laughs> it's a lot Some of people will want that. And God bless. That's how you want to spend your money. 800-859-0957. All right, let's go out to Lee and Macomb. Hey, Lee. Hey, Chris. I love your show. Thank you. Um, you could fix this with Jake very easily. You said $6 is the going rate for inflation. Yep. Well, gave him 20 you say that's a first time tooth only and then you go down to five or six or three whatever but make sure it's in singles it just seems like more for little kids oh that's a good idea yeah singles you you only get that 20 for the first tooth though all right all right lee i like that thank you that's a good that's a good way to to put it i think 
the thing is, I could have given, I really could have given him a dollar, or excuse me, the tooth fairy could have given him a dollar, and everything would have been exactly the same. His reaction would have been exactly the same. He has no idea the difference of a 20, a 100, or a single. So that's a, that's a good way to put it. Uh, thank you. Bill in Port Sanilac. What's up, Bill? Hey, how you doing today? Good. Hey, I got to kind of the same suggestion. I mean, I, I raised three kids, so... You know, went through a lot of teeth. You know, I didn't go broke, which you might be, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, the same thing. You know, start off as a special tooth, the first one. That way you can knock it down to maybe 10 bucks and go from there. That's a good that's, call. Yeah, I got to start lowering it, I think. I think, yeah. the, I, I gotta, I gotta, I think that's the way to do it. Most important thing is you got to tell them to take care of them teeth that do come in. No doubt about it. No doubt. Like the dentist with the pain and the money it costs. That's yeah. That's my kids thank me every day for, you know, Tell them to brush their teeth and floss. No doubt. Billy, appreciate you, man. Thank you. Uh, Tom Jordan texts me. He said, yeah, 20 bucks, way too much. Break it down by tooth. You're looking at two to $300 when it's all said and done, and you're not even talking about braces yet. The thing is they got 20 of these things. 20 baby teeth. Leave it up to Tom to come and break it down for you. I know. Good job, Tom. But you know what's funny is my wife and I have already broke it down. It's, it's 400 It would be $400. 20 bucks a teeth, they got 20 teeth. It's a lot. I mean, that's, that's substantial. <sighs> the tooth fairy's a dope. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Ellie's in Romeo. Hey, Ellie. Hi. Hey, I think you made the same thing that most busy working parents do, which is, you know, to give them 20 bucks for the first tooth because. Let's face it, we're busy working parents, and that's what the ATM gives us. Yeah. So uh, I think it's pretty common, And um, but with both of my kids, you can easily back down for the next two, you know, back it down to five bucks so that their expectation isn't too high. And you could use this as a double whammy and teach them about saving since it's a $20 and start yeah. teaching them the value of money and use it for a savings opportunity, open a savings account for them. Yeah, it's a good call. Ellie, thank you. I, I appreciate it. You know what I love about this today, uh, Brian? Nobody's called me names like like you heathens around here. I've just I, I've just been getting mercilessly, mercilessly attacked over this. Those names were meant with love. And all of uh, my <laughs> these callers are wonderful. God bless you all. Tis the season. They're nicer people. God than bless us, you, everyone. <laughs> oh, my God. It's it's marvelous. Chuck in Harrison Township. What's up, Chuck? Uh, first of all, I think you did hang yourself with a $20 bill. <laughs> But uh, I gave my kids, and I had a ball with this, I used $2 bills because they don't see them very often. Oh, so they're really go, special. Go to the bank and buy $100, $2 bills, keep it on hand for special occasions. The kids go nuts for them. Do you know what president is on the $2 bill? Oh, uh, you know what, uh, Chuck, I used to know. I don't think I know. Well, who is it? Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson, that's right. I did know that. I did and know you can you can get kind of conversations going with the kids like, who's on the one dollar bill? Yeah. Why do you think? And who's on the two dollar bill? All right, Chuck. Good stuff. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Uh, appreciate it. Dave's in Rochester. Hello, Dave. Hey, Chris. How are you? Good. Uh, I wanted to talk about the inflation report and how well Bidenomics is working. But I think Jake is a, is a Perhaps the biggest uh, testament to Bidenomics uh, <laughs> working fine. Yeah, I mean, come on. You think that was, you, you think that would have happened without it? Well, I'll tell you, no, probably not. I'll tell you what, Dave. 
if uh, my son is a socialist is what he is. He just takes. He just takes everything that I have and appropriates it for himself. He's a genius, really. But he's going to buy stuff with that yeah. free money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dave, appreciate you, man. Thank you, bud. Uh, I got to take a break. Uh, we'll get to more of your calls, your texts coming up next. Also, an interesting story about how AI could be implemented. At- All right. Welcome back. Three o'clock hour. Good to have you. Still lots to do today. I, I do want to just put a bow on this situation about the tooth fairy at my house. Uh, Jake he lost his first tooth. The tooth fairy brought him 20 bucks. Now, around here, I've been getting killed. But you people are so nice. I appreciate Danielle's been trying to pull my teeth. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I 20 bucks. Oh, my God. Uh, yes. But, yes, 20 bucks. And and I just asked, is that too much? Uh, because that's the – it's been the, 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 the talk of this place is how that is just way too much. Uh, do we have another text there, Brian? We have one text. Laura in Monroe says, one way to encourage good brushing is to tell them that if the tooth gets a cavity, then he owes money back to the tooth fairy. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I think the tooth fairy likes that. <laughs> I mean, I'd have to consult with her, but I, I, I'm i going to say that that's something that she likes. This could end up as a nonprofit situation. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. Yeah. I could start a foundation. <laughs> That's pretty good. As I, when I was a kid, getting me to brush would have been hard. I would have owed a lot of money. I would have uh, had to get a job. Uh, all right, back to the phones real quick. Carl and Troy, what's up, Carl? That's not Carl. Carl, hey, what's up? I'm I'm good. You hear me? I got you. Okay, good. Hey, a couple of things that I do, and what you're talking about is really urgency or emergency money. And uh, when I go through the car wash and I want to leave a couple of dollar tip, and uh, what I do is I'll put uh, five singles, a five and a 10 and a 20 in my glove box, and I'll put it inside the service manual or some, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I have ur- urgent cash if I need it. And there has been, not very often, fortunately, but I've forgotten my wallet. And that's embarrassing. <laughs> you go sure. to the store and you buy something, and then you say, well, you know, I'll put the groceries here on the side, and I'll go in my car and get yeah. some money. So. Yeah. I found that's uh, kind of a peace of mind uh, thing to carry about forty dollars in cash. That's a good call, Carl. Appreciate you. Let's go to Rod in Plymouth. What's up, Rod? Hey, you know it's uh, it has to be more than just about the money. I mean, whether it's the first tooth or all twenty, you know, I'm not sure. But kids love mascots, and you know, I've seen these big old teeth that are kind of um, Muppet type mascots. Mm-hmm. But if, if if someone makes a, a little piggy bank out of a tooth. You know, you can it, you can use it as a savings device and uh, uh, just a motivation along the way to keep good uh, oral and dental health. Yeah, I I, I think that's uh, a probably a good way to go about it too. I, I I think I've been convinced though today that 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 maybe the the amount goes down because at this point you've lost a tooth already. I think that's the consensus. I love the idea that that first tooth is very special. Yeah. And that no, the that's other good. teeth aren't as special as the first two. I'll that's tell a you, really I, good I do wish I would have recorded his face when I was telling him he was going to lose teeth. <laughs> he was just like, what? Like it was, I was speaking Chinese to him. He's like, uh, you, what? I'm going to lose what? Why? Like he couldn't come to grips with it. It was, it was pretty funny. It's kind of a harsh thing to learn. I mean, you and haven't... it's like, it's like <laughs> they're going to grow back. And he's like, they're going to grow back. And I'm like, I look, I don't make the rules. It's just how it goes. <laughs> I'm just bringing you the information. I just, yeah. I'm just, don't shoot the messenger. It's just, 
what I'm told that it happens, and here we go. So, no, it was, it was very funny. Um, all right, get you caught up on a couple of other things. Um, Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard University, will remain the president of Harvard University after the Harvard Corporation released a statement today saying in the tumultuous and difficult time, we unanimously stand in support of President Gay. Gay and other presidents at MIT and Penn were under intense criticism and calls continued to mount for their resignations after they testified to Congress. And nobody could answer Elise Stefanik's question um, whether the calls for the genocide of Jews on Harvard's campus violated their bullying and harassment policies. And Claudine Gay said it was context dependent. And that wasn't good enough. And and certainly donors are also speaking to because the money isn't coming in quite as as much as it was beforehand. We'll see if that continues. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden saying today that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu needs to change his hardline governmental stance and warned that support for Israel's military campaign is waning worldwide. Speaking to donors in Washington. Biden said Netanyahu had a tough decision to make. This is the most conservative government in Israel's history. And that Israel does not want a two-state solution. And that Israel was beginning to lose support around the world and argued that Netanyahu has to strengthen and change the government to find a long-term solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And, And I'll tell you, this reeks of political desperation desperation because he needs votes because more and more people that don't support Joe Biden's position on this stance are, are turning on him. So this is, this is what he's peddling. And by the way, this was a closed door meeting. There was no reporters there. This was a fundraising event with donors, but don't tell me for a second that these, that, that, that these statements weren't supposed to get out. They absolutely were. And so I just find it pretty disingenuous from the president that he's taking this stance of, well, it's 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 Israel's fault. It's, it's, it's literally victim blaming in this case, which is is pretty shocking when you consider all the facts. Um, in the meantime, when we think of a border wall, most of us think of a wall built of concrete, bricks, uh, steel. Well, that's about to change because the U.S. government is building a virtual wall at the southern border. And experts say it will be the way of the future to help solve our immigration issues. WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne has more on that story. Hi, Marie. Hey, Chris. The government, in fact, is already building this virtual wall. These are hundreds of high-tech surveillance towers, which in some cases use artificial intelligence. There are about 300 different types of surveillance towers, which sit on public, private, and tribal land. They're strung from California to the tip of Texas. They came They contain 360-degree pan radars and sensors that can scan for miles around. The towers are outfitted with AI software that can distinguish people from animals and are programmed to block off sections of surveillance areas like houses or maybe private ranches. Images are then fed back to the Border Patrol, and then they can deploy agents to the area where the activity is detective, and they can get there in a short period of time. The towers are solar-powered. They can be erected in a matter of hours, and therefore they can be moved. So they're fluid in that regard. But the new surveillance technology is giving 
some concern for civil libertarians. The Electronic Frontier Foundation monitors civil liberties in the digital digital age, and some critics say it is not known if these towers are watching ordinary people. What if they're out for a hike or a horseback ride? In the future, though, Chris, we can watch for this sort of technology to impact border security measures. And the bottom line is what we're talking about there. What will it cost? Well, cost is a huge is a huge factor. I, I, I you know, I don't know what the answer is down there. I don't know that technology is just the answer. I don't know that a, a physical wall is just the answer. There probably needs to be a combination of both. Is the is the I. Is the the notion that this is enough to to quell the the well, the masses coming over? Right. First of all, they they believe it's more cost effective than building physically building a concrete or steel wall. You will need fewer agents, is the idea, and the agents can be deployed in a in a the border patrol agents mm-hmm. we're talking about here can be deployed when needed, where they're needed, instead of just kind of being strung out the entire border this way they know where they need to be because they've seen a problem in an area so they they really think this is cost effective a cost effective is it effective in the application of trying to get people to stop coming across the border in the numbers that they are that's something we'll see well they can detect them a lot faster they say with this okay good stuff marie osborne thank you very much thank you all right we got to take a break as soon as this week as soon as tomorrow there could be an inquiry into the impeachment of President Joe Biden. We'll talk about that next and the possibilities of it right here on WJR. So Republicans this week have scheduled a vote to formalize the impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden, arguing that they have come to an impasse and that Republicans have no other choice because they're hitting a stone wall. The White House is impeding their investigation. Democrats are calling it a sham impeachment. And almost as retribution to impeaching Donald Trump. Tim Wahlberg joins us, uh, the congressman from Michigan. Tim, good to have you. Good to be with you. Um, is this is this really the impasse that Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, says it is? Is 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 this where it's come to? Yeah, I think it's 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 very true that that's where it's come to, and and the fact that uh, we have not rushed like the Democrats with Trump twice. They did it with no significant investigations. It was a cut-and-dry impeachment right from the very beginning that they were going to carry out uh, without full information even being given to uh, the Republican leadership, um, uh, determining that some of our members couldn't be on their committee. Uh, we think of the January 6th committee, which was all part of that. And um, and then picking people like Liz Cheney and uh, – uh, and uh, others uh, who would who would stick with their line. This is a total different ballgame. We've been doing an informal investigation for quite some time now, and it's finally come to the point that we can't get literally thousands of documents, thousands of pages of documents that we have reason to ask for from not only the White House but other departments, and we're being held up on on that. Uh, so finally, the decision has been made if that's how it's going to be, when in fact what we have so far shows significant reason to undertake this full inquiry, uh, that's what we're going to do. And then we have subpoena power. We have the opportunity to do it in aggressive fashion. And uh, those that will be requesting information from have less ability to stonewall us. 
Well, I'm sure you can understand uh, at the same time that some of your colleagues on, on your side of the aisle are in precarious districts that that may put their seat in jeopardy if they were to vote along with what seems to be a majority of Republicans in authorizing this inquiry. Um, but but you feel like the, the Republicans have done their due diligence on this and, and this is where the path leads. Yeah, I think so. It's been three specific committees that have been looking at it. Of course, judiciary, uh, oversight and government form, and then uh, ways and means, looking at all, all the aspects of where this would go. I think it gives significant cover to uh, Republicans who sit in Biden one districts that this hasn't been just out of hand, but there's been a due diligence process. Uh, I think voting for a serious inquiry says that we aren't going directly to impeachment. We want to now do an inquiry that either will come to the truth or not. And if I were in that type of district, which I was up until this term, yeah, I would I would be able to say to my people, listen, I understand why you Democrats and progressive liberals uh, don't want this to go on. But for the good of this country, we're doing something that wasn't done under Trump. We're doing something that is a true investigation. We've already had whistleblowers that have given us information, given us a reason to ask for the information, and we've been stonewalled on it. And so let it take it where it goes. It may never go toward an impeachment. There are some of us who think um, it would be better for political purposes to have Joe Biden with the failure that he has been as president to keep him in office and not impeach him. We also know that uh, Chuck Schumer is not going to be working toward uh, a conviction, a conviction mm-hmm. at all. But we also know that the Constitution gives us the responsibility of the House to do the work for the people. And if there is um, um, a criminal action illegal action taking place uh, in the home of the president of the United States and uh, formerly the vice president himself uh, doing this, the the American people have a right to know. And um, that hopefully would put the fear of God in, in anybody else who runs for the presidency in the future, that this type of thing will not be tolerated, even if it can't go to full conclusion. Um, So we'll see what happens, but I'm hoping that my colleagues, uh, especially those I think of in New York and a few in Pennsylvania and California, that they can look at it and say, for the good of the country, we will take this vote. Where it leads us, we'll leave that to be seen, and then we'll make the decision then. But for right now, let's do a formal inquiry. So what do you say to people that says, well, this is just political retribution for Donald Trump, or this is just an answer for Donald Trump? Because you know, there's a there's a case to be made that we go down a, a potentially dangerous path where we're just impeaching presidents based right. on on political letters alone. Right. And and that's not a direction we want to head. Is the answer the inquiry and not a, a full impeachment? Is that the answer, do you think, to those to those folks? I think that's the answer. That did not come with Donald Trump. There was no inquiry. It was direct to impeachment uh, panel and impeachment hearings. Uh, and, and, and it's gone on for almost nine years now, even after he's out of office, uh, that they've been uh, in a retri- retribution fashion going after him. That hasn't been the case with Biden. Uh, we gave him the benefit of the doubt as he came in, uh, even though we knew during during the course of the last campaign uh, that the FBI Justice Department was hiding things and not going after Hunter's laptop even. Mm-hmm. And there was a direct action to make sure that that didn't happen. 
that was dirty. We found out the truth now in the process of investigations. This has been a serious thing. I think the only reason why people can look at this as being uh, bad precedent and, and, and continuing uh, bad action of, of trying to impeach any president who's from the other party is because what the Democrats did with Trump. Absolutely what they did with Trump. Even, even with Clinton, it was an impeachment effort brought about by him lying to Congress. And that came out clear. Uh, and that is an impeachable offense, even though the Senate ultimately didn't, didn't convict. Uh, so I'm hoping that the way we do it will restore faith back in the governmental process, and especially in the impeachment process, that we're doing with a serious nature. We're looking for the truth. If it doesn't show up, there will be no impeachment. If it does show up, then we owe it to the people to go forward with impeachment, regardless of how it ultimately turns out. In the well, because nobody's above the law. Right. That's what we've Nobody. been hearing for the last uh, six years, seven years, something Absolutely. like that. So um, I would I would I would probably apply that in this case as well. In the meantime, about uh, just about a minute left here. Um, what do you make of Jack Smith uh, fast tracking this this uh, ask from the courts to the Supreme Court to see if Donald Trump could could be uh, facing charges uh, through governmental immunity? Well, see, I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping that it's that it is a proper motion and attempt to, to conclude something so it doesn't remain political as it has been. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to optimistically think of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that it isn't Jack Smith being political as well. And just trying to sure. perpetrate, perpetrate a, a viewpoint that uh, Donald Trump is, is guilty. And it, uh, well, it's, yeah, and it sounds like the, the Supreme Court is going to take a look at it, how fast they get to it. I guess we'll see. They're back in session uh, in January. Uh, Congressman Tim Wahlberg, always appreciate you, you taking some time with me. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Yep, Have you a got great it. afternoon. Yep, you do the same. That's Congressman Tim Wahlberg here on JR Afternoon. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we've got to take a break. Coming up next, an interesting task force has been com- uh, compiled in Oakland County, and it is attacking... Uh, those who are breaking in, stealing things from homes in Oakland County. Who's perpetrating it? Some arrests have been made. We'll talk about that next. Lots of trouble in Oakland County in terms of these theft rings that have been giving businesses and homes lots of, of issues. And now there has been arrests made, and they are three Chilean nationals that have been charged in high-end home invasions in Oakland County, in Wayne County, in Kent counties. And they stem from from issues that go back all the way to February. But there has been a task force created in order to track these folks down and, and bring them to justice. Oakland County Sheriff Michael Bouchard joins us. Sheriff, good to have you. Good afternoon. How are you? Uh, good. I'm I'm a little better knowing that that three people have been arrested and charged in this case. Um, what are you seeing? Uh, what, what what prompted you to start this task force? Well, the, uh, I'll kind of go back a little bit. So I started delving into this when we started to track a similar mo a method of operation in terms of what we were seeing at very high end homes and how it was replicating and how it was multiplying and learned from my colleagues across the country um, that these gangs are hitting everywhere. And they come in primarily one of two ways, either legally across the southern border or they are violating the visa waiver program, the BWP. And so as we dug deeper into it, um, we began to get more and more intelligence on their methods and, and how they do it. 
and a crew that had been arrested on other charges. They were in a different um, state even, but we were able to put together information that put them at our burglaries and others across the state. So they've been in custody for some time. Uh, what was announced yesterday was actually formal charges against mm -hmm. them. That's good news. The bad news is, is that they've been in custody for quite some time. And this rash that we've been seeing is not attributable to them at all. In sure. fact, there's multiple crews that have been cycling in and out. Intelligence is telling us that anywhere around 100 teams of four to six people are operating in the country at any given time. Now. Wow. So are, 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 do we know if these folks are citizens, non-citizens? What do we know about their, their, their status? They are definitely not citizens. They, again, are coming in primarily one of two ways, either illegally across the southern border or they're violating the visa waiver program. And we've actually asked the administration to pull that from Chile. Doesn't mean people from Chile couldn't come visit. They would just have to get a visa which is a little higher level of background right. and authentication. What they're using is online application. They get here and they immediately get false identification. They overstay the visas and begin a pattern of criminality all across the country. So mm. now at this point, seven people, two different groups have been charged for crimes in Oakland County, four for armed robbery of jewelry stores in Oakland County by prosecutor Karen McDonald, and now three that we've obtained charges from the attorney general for high-end home burglaries across the state. All seven of them have violated the visa waiver program. Wow. So obviously, when if they're targeting jewelry stores, if they're targeting higher-end homes, they're looking for higher-end items. They're looking for high-priced items that they can, what, rip off and then sell on the, on the black market? 100%. So what typically happens is they they have a very specific target. Oftentimes the question is, you know, what community? It's not so much a community as it is a specific target. Mm. A house that's very high end, typically a multi-million dollar house that has kind of a obscured backyard, either backs up to the woods or a golf course or something where it gives a little more remote access and approach to these criminals. They typically do some kind of surveillance pattern of life, determine when you're home and not. Um, and they typically come in through the back, oftentimes second story. They go through a window, not opening it, or a door, not opening it. And they also utilize jammers so that if you've got wireless uh, alarm systems and things like that, it has uh, definitely affected those systems. Uh, very sophisticated. They come here trained, so it's very organized. They move almost in a paramilitary fashion when you mm. see four or five of them coming into a backyard dressed in all black, facial coverings, gloves, backpacks, window punches, and burglary tools. And they go in, take as much high-end jewelry, watches, high-end purses or cash as they can. If there's a safe that they can get out of the house and take with them and then brute force it remotely, then they'll do that. That's what they're after. What do you think's training them? Absolutely. It's mean they're being trained in Chile by an organized game. Wow. Wow. And and so what is the task force um, primary role here uh, in the state of Michigan? You said this is happening all over the country, though. But but what is your task force primarily focusing on? Our task force is southeast Michigan. So okay. we know they've hit the points and we know they've hit different communities that have these high end homes. 
we want to, you know, formalize. We've already been informally talking and communicating, but we need to share and work together because it, lots of times they'll hit one house and then they've already pre-surveilled another house. They'll hit a second house the same night. Mm. So if something starts to go off, we all have to connect the dots immediately, spring into action and go to work because they're typically, once they've hit, you know, a certain number of targets, they're on the move to another state and gone. They've already packaged up most of the stolen articles out of your house and oftentimes have shipped them to uh, other states to be disposed of by fences. Have there been any injuries associated with these break-ins? We have not. We've not seen any violence uh, other than the violent nature of them breaking into home. Sure. But that doesn't mean it couldn't be violent or right. couldn't escalate. Um, so far, they have tried to avoid homeowners, and when someone's been home, they've fled. Okay. And so what, what's the message to, to people in the community, to homeowners um, that, that live in these communities that may be targeted? The message is look out for each other. Look out for yourself. Check your alarm system, your camera system. Make sure they're all functioning and operating. Make sure you have layered security, including hardwired, if possible, motion detectors on every floor of your interior. Use your system. A number of homes have been burglarized and the alarm was off. Mm. Um, if you see something suspicious, you know better than we do. If that car or that person are, is from your neighborhood, don't be afraid to call. We need to check out these things, and mm-hmm. we'd rather check out a hundred nothings than miss one real deal. And um, you know, don't be afraid to ask for advice or to talk to us. Typically, the way this is going to happen is we're going to catch something in progress because a neighbor saw it or an alarm went off, and we had people in the area something like that. But, you know, pretty quickly they're out of state. And, you know, we may be able to tie them back later. Um, but, you know, the, the best shot at it is to catch them while they're here. Well, and, you know, we, we've seen an uptick in people coming across the southern border, even across uh, borders uh, in the north as well. But particularly the southern border, we've seen more and more people streaming across um, recently, is is this is the worry that this could get worse around the country, or it could get worse here in Southeast Michigan? That more of these rings could could make their way around? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, it already has gotten worse. We think, you know, up between 30 and 40 uh, attributable burglaries have happened in Oakland County since September, and the only way we're actually ultimately going to stem the tide is with the administration working with law enforcement and other countries to shut off this flow of gangs that are coming very specifically with this intent. You know, a lot of people come to America for a better life, and that's great. We're a nation of immigrants. Sure. But we've got gangs that are coming here intentionally to make victims out of people in this country. We need to shut that off, and we need to, again, the visa waiver program. All seven of our people have violated that. So, you know, we're not going to stem this tide until we get help nationally, and then we can engage international, you know, Interpol kinds of folks to try to begin to track these transnational gangs from across the world. Yeah, it, 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 it's obviously something that needs to be addressed, and, and it's not just staying at the southern border. These issues are happening all over the country, certainly here in southeast Michigan as well. Thankfully, Michael Bouchard is on it. Sheriff, thanks so much again for your time. Sure thing. Yep, take you care. got it. Yep, you do the same. Got to take a break. More next on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. You know, there is um, a couple things that I wanted to talk to my my good friend, Steve Courtney, about. So let's bring him in. Stephen, hello. Happy Tuesday. 
Christopher, how are you there? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? Everything is well, my friend, as far as I know. Good. Um, There is... um, a couple things I want to get to. Do we have business to take care of first? We do. Right, we do. Our do business is brought to you by the hardworking men and women at Bill Brown Ford. Forward down the field. The W's are stacking up. Tough night for the wing wheelers last night, but they're back on the ice tonight. How about that? My good friend Matt Garko and his team are stacking wins each day. Drive with the champions at Bill Brown Ford. Shop their True View inventory at BillBrownFord.com today. What's on your mind? All right, so let's start with the Shohei Otani deal. All right. We talked a little bit about this yesterday, but he's he's signing a 10-year, $700 million deal. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Stephen, in Major League Baseball, every penny is guaranteed, correct? You are correct, sir. All right, so he's going to get $700 million. What's interesting about this is the way the deal is going to be structured. He's he's going to defer these payments till later on. But the base pay is going to be $2 million a year. He'll be the 17th high, 7th or 17th, I believe it's the 17th highest paid player on the Dodgers in terms of yearly pay. And he's going to defer $680 million in payments starting at age 40. So he's... He's essentially going to be the next Bobby Bonilla. Yeah, he is. And, uh, you know, now you're getting involved in this whole high finance thing. And uh, what it amounts to is he is going to defer $68 million of his annual $70 million salary. Uh, now, this is going to significantly, Chris, lower the Dodgers team payroll and potential tax burden. Mm-hmm. And apparently this was all brought about. Uh, by the one and only Shohei Otani, so that the Dodgers would, in essence, be able to go out and assemble even more talent. What a team guy. Now, if you're wondering, you know, you just signed $700 million, uh, and you're going to defer this, though. Please keep in mind, this is very important. Mr. Otani uh, makes upward of $45 million annually (laughs) through endorsements alone. So think about that. In this upcoming season, with the paltry, what is it, $2 million he's going to make yep. from the Dodgers, he'll make an additional $45 million or so on top of that, aside from baseball. How will the poor man eat? But <laughs> but it is interesting because when you consider the, the, the type of person that Shohei Otani is, by all reports, I never met the guy, but... He's a good guy, character guy, and yes. and and he he exhibits this type of mentality through his through his paycheck. So he's like, look, I don't need the money. I don't need seventy million dollars a year from you. I'll get millions and millions of dollars from somebody else. Let's keep the gravy train rolling. Let's keep let's keep the players coming in so we can win a championship. I think that speaks a lot, and that is not a characteristic. Look, no offense to athletes. But that is not a characteristic you see from athletes these days. No, not a whole lot. And uh, by all accounts, like you, I have never met Shohei. Um, but he is uh, supposed to be a prize teammate. Uh, he's got a keen sense of humor. Uh, and keep in mind, he just underwent Tommy John. So whatever the next level is past generational talent, 
that's exactly what she- uh, Shohei Otani is. Uh, the Dodgers spent this dough knowing fully well he won't be able to pitch this year. They mm-hmm. are penciling him in as their starting pitcher for opening day in 2025. And in case you're wondering, uh, he is slated to face his former team, the Angels, twice next season at home on June 21st and 22nd and at Angel Stadium for two games on September 3rd and 4th. That will be raucous. And, you know, the other interesting part is if you look at from a, from the from an organizational perspective, Opening t- opening day tickets to a Dodgers to, to Dodgers opening day before Shohei Otani were about four hundred and seventy five bucks. After Otani, it's a seventy five percent increase. It jumps to eight hundred and eleven dollars for an average opening day ticket for average home games. It's up forty seven percent. So not only are they not paying him immediately, but they are seeing the the returns in in just fistfuls. The team's valuation has increased over 200% in the last decade and certainly now even greater because of Shohei Otani. It is unbelievable. It truly is for for a guy who is an unbelievable sports figure, an athlete. He continues to be an just an incredible story. Yeah, and important to note here, um, yeah, the Dodgers are laying out a boatload. That's for sure. Um, but according to reports, the Angels – were believed to have made more than $20 million annually off the marketability yep. of Shohei Otani. $20 yeah, million a year. These, is, you know, that's pretty good dough. The Dodgers are going to be able to recoup that money in a season. I mean, re- realistically. They're going to be able to recoup a big chunk of this in the first couple of years, and it'll be a wash then at that point. I think that's where probably the money doesn't matter. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the Lions, too. I know we don't have a lot of time. Maybe we do this tomorrow, but... Just just briefly, I, I don't think it's panic time yet, but it, it, there is a sense that they haven't been playing as well the last couple of weeks, and, you know, the magic number is, what, three games? So they got to get things done, and, and you still got a looming test against Dallas, too. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it tomorrow, but w- where are you at on the lines real quick? I've got deep concerns, um, I, and I'll tell you why. Uh, here we have this uh, high-potent offense. Uh, that all of a sudden is turning it over, and they're struggling. I don't know what the deal is in the third quarter uh, into the second half, but you take a look at what went down uh, Sunday in Chicago. Uh, This high-potent offense uh, put together 61 yards of total offense in the second half. Uh, I think there's some weaknesses defensively. I think the the pass defense is going to be the Achilles heel. And, uh, again, I know we don't have much time, uh, but when you take a look at the remaining schedule, it's not the gimme that maybe it appeared to be uh, not that long ago. The Broncos, a 7-16. and 16. Lions are five-point favorites for that tilt uh, Saturday night. Then you've got uh, two with the Vikings. Not a whole lot to play for, but they're competitive. They beat the Raiders 3 nothing, by the way. Um, Tremendous. And the, and the Cowboys on the road. And Dallas is for real. Yeah, and they just depanced Philly the other night. So, uh, yeah. look, I don't know. I we'll, we'll, we'll do a little bit more of this tomorrow. We'll get a little more in depth. But, yeah, I, I have concerns, too. I don't know that I'm in total panic mode. I think I had this team at 11 wins to, to start the season. So they're in, that, they're in that area. Look, you win the division, host the home playoff game, and let's go from there. I think that's the way to look at it. it. It's just a bad trend right now. Yeah, that's no, my point. No doubt about it. Steve Courtney, thank you, bud. We'll talk tomorrow. You bet. Looking forward to it, Chris. All right, Mitch Elm and the crew next. See you tomorrow. Same time, same place.